Facebook and like Like Trees Walking. <laughs> please. Oh, is that what that means? Hey, yeah. welcome to Like Trees Walking. Uh, Mike Nelson and David Berge here. Yeah, cheers. And we are just figuring out what our what our uh, title means. I guess it means you're supposed to go on Facebook and like Trees like, Walking. Like 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 Trees Walking. So it is a it is a verb statement. It is. It's yeah. a command. Okay. It's a command. Like trees walking you people well david amazingly this is episode number 107 107 this is our eighth podcast including the pilot that's right we for some reason made ourselves deliberately confusing in the number <laughs> of podcasts that we have it's kind of like the year 2000 isn't actually 2000 you know it's, or it's like, like yeah a, the, and it's not like the year zero so you have to include that and it's not the new millennium the new millennium didn't start till 2001 it's yeah Right, but confusing. people who point that out should be immediately dismissed from your company, and so therefore our podcast number just ignore it. This is our whatever. It's our eighth podcast. Yep, and we are the podcast where we talk about uh, faith and theology and philosophy and culture. We try to answer the big questions with a smile, not a smirk on our faces. In a winsome matter. And then you'll have to, a lot of people have to probably go and figure out what winsome means. Winsome so we can win some. Oh, oh boy. Oh, go like trees walking. Uh, all right, so today, let's go to the rundown of the show. We're going to tackle one of those big questions we talked about earlier. Absolutely. We are also going to debut a, a shocking new format change. Last uh, last week, last whatever, last podcast. Yeah, last podcast. There, I don't a few know how to do ago. this. People <laughs> are we time shifting. Yes, there was some contretemps, uh, also a word you should look up, yep. around the uh, the quiz. Yeah. There was a, I, maybe I dropped the, the ball. The quiz was maybe slightly disastrous. <laughs> the quiz didn't go as smoothly as some other quizzes. And because of that, uh, Mr. Berge kind of got in my face. That's going to happen. You know, yep. two strong personalities mm-hmm. clashing on microphone. Mm-hmm. And uh, he challenged me to answer questions. So today, that's the turnaround. Tables are turned. I'm going to take the quiz today. And that is a, uh, a new development on like The quizzer long. has become the quizzy. That's right. Uh, and so a that, shocking development you right. didn't see coming. <gasps> so you never know what's going to happen. Fists could fly. Questions could be answered or not. I mean, anything could happen, so stay tuned for that. Yep, and Mike also did a acapella song that he made up literally on the spot, <laughs> and so I am promising you that I'm going to bring a... We're going to pump up the jam a little bit with my theme song, so I'm pretty oh, proud of that. That's a little, excited. a little clue. I haven't heard it yet. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it, but let's get into it. Uh, we promise you some of the biggest questions of the day, and this is one that comes up a lot for Christians. All right. It comes up a lot in the popular culture, so I'm going to challenge you with it, Pastor Berge. And that is the the notion that uh, we as Christians believe in this Bible that is, well, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's just a bunch of guys wrote down some stuff a long time ago, and who knows what the original was. Certainly we can't have any idea what it was because it's been so long and surely down through the years, like anything else, like the telephone game, yep. it got distorted. And so what we have now is a pastiche of some, you know, ancient Palestinian culture with their some weird thing. And so why would you believe in this? Why would you put your hope, your trust, and your faith in this copy of a copy of a copy of, of a legend? Right. So it's it started with, uh, you know... 
hey, there was a guy named Jesus who was pretty great from Nazareth. And, you know, by the time it got to us, it was like purple monkey dinosaur uh, <laughs> right. smurf. You know, it's like the kind of, hey, that's what we would do when we played telephone is we would like right. just do the absurd as you pass it from the uh, one person to the other. But basically saying like whatever historical, you know, kernel might be contained in there, like basically right now, all kinds of stuff has been stuck on there, you know, just like legend, all the sort of legend and basically, you know, lies, garbage, BS, whatever you want to say, has has accreted on there like barnacles on the hull of a ship. And, and, and basically, anyone could add anything at any time. Any yep. scribe who was holding on to it for yeah. 10 years who thought that Jesus was maybe a primate and so he turned him into a monkey for a while or just, exactly. you know whatever yeah, just tell yeah. a little story and add on to it and then you all can... the, yeah you could do whatever you want here you have this text as it got passed along like people could do whatever they want and, and mess it up and so what we have now is something that's ridiculous unreliable doesn't get us to any sense of, of the source of the truth so we really can't have any confidence in any of the statements we make about Jesus because it's just copies of copies of copies just like you wouldn't have confidence in you know the person at the end of the telephone game giving you the original message um, wow that's pretty daunting and so well that's our show and yep. good night i guess that's what <laughs> no <laughs> there must be an answer to this there is i mean so this is famously like famously bart Ehrman, right he's the um uh, see at uh, unc uh, chapel hill i think um you know he's the one who's brought this to the popular imagination at least with his um uh, his book misquoting jesus oh, right, um, right. which came out in the mid-aughts I believe, but uh, Ehrman's a very uh, eminent uh, New Testament scholar. Um, he actually trained, he has a really interesting personal narrative. So he grew up, I think, in a kind of a fundamentalist Christian um, a Christian setting, and then he went to Princeton Theological Seminary to study under the eminent uh, Bruce Manning Metzger, who was sort of like one of the giants of New Testament scholarship in really the origins uh, and the text of the New Testament. And so, you know, uh, well, Metzger was a very strong Christian, a very faithful um, guy, uh, and so he, you know, had studied where the where the New Testament came from, all its various manuscripts. Metzger did that, and it didn't trouble his faith at all. But because of where Ehrman came from was this idea of, like, the Gospels. Um, basically, if we don't have the original copy, then what can we know? And it led him to this crisis of faith, and he abandoned his faith. And so— And that that is his story, not yours, no, right? No, that's that not is what, my story. Yeah, that's his. Just to be clear about his, we're not— we're not sort of demeaning his personal no, story. That's no, his that's story. his story. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And so kind of where his presuppositions, uh, where he started from, led him to abandon the faith. But I want to just say that the person that he studied with um, didn't share those same presuppositions, but w knew the same data and still maintained a very robust and strong um, Christian faith through that. And I, I went to Princeton Seminary um, when uh, Do Dr. Metzger died. So he was just sort of one of the giants of 20th century biblical scholarship. So all that to say that um, we don't have to ne necessarily end up or we shouldn't end up where Bart Ehrman ended up. And I think, first of all, when we're talking about like sort of the problem, right, we have, you know, I've heard the statistic before, there's 400,000 variants, you know, in the manuscripts. So it's like, it just makes you think that like, oh my gosh, this is just a mess. And, you know. Not to, not to be, you know, I don't... I, Let's just be clear. What is a variant? I mean, we know the word variant, but variant just describe just, it in the terms of, a, just of what like, it means in the Bible. So a variant is just like you put two manuscripts next to each other, and the one that you know is older and the one that's newer, there'd be something different. But what could that be? It could be a missing word. It could be a missing letter. Um, it could be like an, an addition, you know? So like you could say like, he was tall 
and fat, you know, would sort of count as like a variant or tall and skinny. So these are any difference or any change between the two manuscripts. And so I think one thing is like, this sounds like a daunting number, but we have over 25,000 manuscripts and um, fragments from which our New Testament text is, is comprised of. So that I think averages out to about 16 or 17 variants per separate fragment or manuscript. So that doesn't qu sound quite so bad. And when you think about it, the fact that there's 25,000 pieces of evidence that we're using when assembling this text just shows you how important the Bible was and how preserving it um, and passing that story along as accurately as possible was a huge value for the earliest, earliest Christians. And sort of, you know, beyond that, there's no, um, most of these uh, uh, variants between these documents are, are of the most minor type. And so misspellings, yeah, and, and, yeah, and inverted letters, exactly. And, like that. and so what you don't see is this big agenda to invent, invent whatever Jesus, the authors of the gospel, wanted to. And so you're not seeing this sort of like starting with something very simple, accruing into legend. No, from the very earliest stages, we see that this story about Jesus is very consistent. That it's Jesus from Nazareth, you know, that he is a uh, wandering preacher and miracle worker who died and whose body was not found. And so his disciples proclaimed that they had seen him and he was risen again. That basic story is absolutely consistent from the various earliest strata of, of Christian data. So the, the heart of the gospel story is right there from the beginning. Well, let's back up a little bit, and and you know we're a we're a, we're just a small country podcast. Yep. We don't have a lot of sophistication here, but and we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> and this is worth many many podcasts, but it's basically the, you know, how, how did we get the Bible? Question yes. enters into this. So let's back up a little bit. How uh, what are we talking about when we're talking about the manuscript? How did we arrive at that? Just give us a thumbnail sketch, and then how did people transmit? those gospels to one another okay uh, in the in the ancient world where this was taking place so the uh, earliest the, like the earliest records that we have of jesus's life we actually don't get from the gospels we get from the apostle paul who was writing letters in the 50s so you know less than 20 years about 20 years after jesus's death and resurrection we have paul writing letters with that same sketch now how does that get done he sends that letter to a church it's written by Paul. This is really important. So they have a, a scribe who will take a piece of papyrus, write it down, copy it, send it to someone else. Um, what you see is the Gospels being written right around the time, right in the mid-60s towards the year 70, when basically the eyewitness generation, the, the people who had walked with Jesus, who had talked with him, who had sat at his feet, who had seen everything he had done, that generation was dying off. And so because they wanted to preserve an accurate memory and tradition regarding who Jesus was, as opposed to just making up whatever they wanted to, um, the the apostolic generation is passing away, and so we have Mark, and then you know Matthew and Luke, and last John being written down, and so these are are written down and on pieces of papyrus. They're circulated in all the churches, and uh, people who were you know experts in this area would copy these down. They were extremely valuable, and eventually they were all these writings were seen as so valuable and important for teaching about who Jesus was and, and what he said and how you should live the Christian life that um, they invented, really Christians invented the book in, in terms of the codex, which is just a name for a bunch of manuscripts that are, are put that together. That are bound together. Are bound together, yeah. yep. And, so and these are all, I'm sorry to stop you, no, but stop these me. are all on papyrus. Yes. Okay, and then later 
they moved to a different material, or they continued to use papyrus, but there were also other manuscripts yes. written on. Written on. Well, there's things like vellum. Vellum, yeah. which is a, a, like a leather. Yes. Which yep. meant it was preserved. It was much more important yes, yeah. and expensive. Yes. But this, this happened pretty early as well, later than the papyrus, but... Yep, but Just yeah, trying to give get, the broad sketch yes. of so how So you get vellum, is. and really you get a pretty well-established canon before, you know, within like 100 years of Jesus's, you know, death and resurrection. You might say that's a long time, but basically from the very beginning, the letters of Paul and the first letter of Peter and the Gospels and Acts, these were unquestioned parts of the Christian canon. Um, and so the other books, you know, it uh, took a while for them to be assembled in what we would see as our, our Bible today. But the earliest records that we have of the life of Jesus, the gospel and the writings of Paul, from the very beginning, those were seen as reliable, as reliable. And those were lifted up as scripture, as sacred texts that were read and used as the basis for teaching within the Christian community from, from the very first decades of, of the Christian movement. And it was thought to be extremely important to have accuracy, right? It's sort of hard to understand now. As, as Oh, yeah. You know, you didn't just like type it out on your Google Docs and then it was fine forever. You had these scribes copying it. I mean, it was a professional job, right? I'm a scribe. I, yeah. I sit there all day. It's not, a it's not like a, a game of a, telephone. And even oral culture, from what I understand, is the way that they work. It's stories, you know, while certain um, shifts of emphasis can change, like that there is a very clear sense of there is a, a, a canonical core, like a, a, a core that you can't change. Otherwise, because the story that circulated within the churches, those were the communities where the oral stories first of Jesus circulated, there was such a common knowledge of the core of that story. That if you were to deviate wildly from it, it wasn't like, oh, hey, we all get to make up something new. No, that would have been strongly denounced. And what you see is that as other stories that got made up, what they call the, quote, Gnostic Gospels, which are from the second century, those are the ones where Jesus is more the sort of disembodied teacher of wisdom, you know, not the one who's sort of down and dirty and in the dirt of first century Palestine. Um, there was such a disconnect between those that those were rejected by the church, by the mainstream church, not because they wanted power and control, but because they were inconsistent with this story of Jesus that was much, much older and, and, and truer to who he actually was and what he did and what he taught. So if we look at today, and, and I think we're going to recommend at the end of this, th there's books that we can recommend. So think about that for a second. Maybe when we come back from the break, we can just sort of because it's so broad in scope, and it's actually yeah. very fascinating it how it was passed down. I, I forget. I have a book, but it's not at my... Uh, you <laughs> can look at it during the break. I'll, I'll look at it during the break uh, about how it was passed down and just that sketch. Anyway, just don't rely on the internet to get you... <laughs> this is a copy of a copy. It's a fascinating story involving a lot of different things. But if we were to look at a, a Bible now and then compare it to, let's say, a manuscript from... What's our earliest papyrus? There, there's a bunch of them, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're in museums all around the world. Yep, yep. And, and they're comparable to a modern Bible, right? We, we're not seeing shocking differences between these things. Oh, no, no. And, and so if you look, yeah, if you look at one of your sort of mainstream translations, the uh, New Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, the English Standard Version, where you'll see the, they'll make notes of where you see really interesting variants or different readings that, that just don't line up. That's about one-tenth of one percent of the variants make the 
cut. I mean, it's it's a very small number. And really the things that are highly disputed, hotly disputed, saying we don't see this in the earliest manuscripts and we don't know if this should be there, those get usually put in double brackets. And there's really only two of those passages. It's the longer ending, longer of, Mark, ending of Mark and, um, sorry people, the he who is without sin cast the first oh, stone in John. I, I know, that's heartbreaking. That's such a good accretion to the Bible. <laughs> right? I, wish, like, I wish a pastor could teach on that. Yeah. It's like, a good one. Like, don't. Don't judge me like that one, you know, that doesn't, that one, that particular story that we all love uh, is not in the earliest manuscripts. So it's, it's canonical status is actually disputable, um, but it gets put in there anyways because it's such a beloved story. But you see those double brackets? Those are the only two instances of things that are just like totally and completely different, just appear much later in the stratum of tradition. So um, what we have before us is, is a reliable account based on our earliest manuscripts. And so it's not a bunch of stuff that got added besides those two instances. So it can just show us that we can have a lot of confidence that the Bible we're looking at is um, is a really good representation. Of. Right, and I think if you are a person, you know, curious about it, if you just open up, like, go to church, first of all, open up a <laughs> pew Bible, and you'll see the little, and most pew Bibles, you'll see the little uh, markings. It'll have a little letter there and a little footnote, and it'll say, some variants say, the yep, instead yeah, of yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. so you're like oh that's like okay thanks for noting that it's very you know but those <laughs> those are most of the variants are these inconsequential and what they're saying is some copies will have this other error but we're just noting it because it actually might have some tiny bit of authority yeah but what it's talking about is is a uh, an article or or a misspelling yeah and, and it'll but it'll still will note that and say it, this did exist in whatever, in 1113. There's a copy that has right. this on it. And I think the most like shocking thing is actually just how minor most of these disputed points are. And, I mean, I think to say without equivocation, none of these variants um, change any of the central core theological claims right, right. about the Christian faith and the life of Jesus. Like, like... Nothing like, oh, I guess the incarnation's gone and like right. the resurrection and, and oh, the Trinity, you know, like, like none of these core essential doctrines are challenged by these variant manuscripts. You know what I mean? So, um, so there's nothing too crazy out there to worry about. And we should note the central message of the gospel is contained quite faithfully in Paul's earliest letters oh, yeah. in the form of a creed or hymn. And it just basically runs down the core of the gospel. Exactly. So, if so you that's look in, not in dispute. If you look at Philippians 2, the so-called Christ hymn, um, where it talks really about like the incarnation and um, the atonement through that lens, like, and you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, talking about this tradition that was handed on about Jesus and his death and resurrection and what that does. Like, So in these early, early letters, we have this not just narrative sketch, thumbnail sketch of Jesus's life, but this theological sketch of its of its meaning and its significance for us. So all that is there in our earliest, earliest letters. Um, and, and they show that actually Paul is relying on a tradition that he received. And so if he's writing in the 50s, you know, we're talking about something that's not removed basically at all from the life of Jesus. It was there from the beginning. So Paul in the 50s, did he have like a leather jacket and a ducktail? <laughs> he was, was like a doing rebel doo-wop music <laughs> and stuff like that? He was a oh, you're talking about the 50s, not he the was, 1950s. I'm sorry. Okay. The apostle. <laughs> okay. Paul, he was not a Sorry. All right. So hopefully we've given you a little confidence in the Bible. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. We'll maybe recommend some reading material. Yep. Then we'll do 
the quiz, where the quiz master becomes the quizzed, and we will unveil David Berge's quiz music, which we're all very excited about. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be coming up soon. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We hope that you love it and find it interesting and uh, inspiring and edifying. And if you do, there's a few things you could do for us. One is if you could go to the iTunes store or Google Play store, and if you could give it a rating and a review, that would help other people find it so they can enjoy the goodness that is Like Trees Walking too. You can also go to Like Trees Walking Pod. That's liketreeswalkingpod.com. You can sign up for our email newsletter, uh, and you can read our bios and listen to all the old episodes. They're there. And also, you can find us on social media. There is a Like Trees Walking Facebook page, so you could like like trees walking there and we do also have a twitter account um, that is like uh, trees walking pod is the username you can follow us on twitter and that way you'll always know when the newest episodes are dropping so thank you so much we hope you enjoy the podcast Get Oh, I hope you had a good bass to hear that in. It's a, it's a good test for your speakers. Or I hope it didn't blow out your speakers. If so, I apologize. <laughs> Welcome back to Like Trees Walking. That music was selected by our own David Berge. Yep, thank you, based on what Mike made available to me in a shared folder. So thank you, Mike. <laughs> of course. All right, so we're going to get to our quiz in just a moment. But first, we just want to sum up what we were talking about. This is a big topic. It is. I did find some resources during our break. So I what, went are, out. what are some of those, Mike? I rode on my horse like Gandalf and went to the libraries of the, uh, <laughs> in the old. And I lit a candle and I worked in half gloves in the cold air for hours on end. Uh, and so there'll be some links to, I think, some easy-to-digest yeah, stuff. Yeah, so if you go to Like Trees Walking, um, P-O-D, LikeTreesWalkingPod.com, in the show notes... We'll definitely have uh, links to these resources. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of scholarly work that sort of answers the objection that we talked about today. And yes. just to sum that up, uh, the ancient world has a lot of texts, but the Bible is by far the most well attested, the most copies of those. So this notion that the Bible is a copy of a copy of a copy is nonsense, especially in comparison to other things. Oh yeah, like people like historical figures like. The Caesars and Alexander the Great, whom we have almost no material for. Right, and and I just uh, I downloaded a thing quick here. There are uh, f- a recent count shows fifty five hundred separate Greek manuscripts. These are like fragments, they're papyri, whatever. Uh, and then there are let's see, there's codexes dating back to oh here it is. Here's the fascinating find. The most amazing find of all, however, is a small portion of John 18 discovered in Egypt, known as the John Rylands Papyri, barely three inches square. It's the earliest known copy of any part of the New Testament. It's dated at 117 AD Mm -hmm. and showing that the Gospel of John was circulated as far away as Egypt within 40 years of the composition of the Gospel of John. So it existed and was circulated that quickly yeah and that's and it's impressive especially because john is viewed as as you know the later it's it's the one that bears the least direct relationship to the to the other three gospels and so to have such an early fragment of john and such an early date for john um sort of blows up this idea that it you know even if the other gospels are reliable john's sort of like doing his own thing and making it up like no even john 
goes back and, and has a has a close uh, a chron- chronological connection to um, right. to the New Testament era to the to the to the apostolic era. So the great thing about this topic is, look, there's if you want to get into the weeds, you can because oh, there's a bunch of stuff deep in, it, in the weeds, and it is fascinating. You can you know to to use a phrase that I don't usually like, you can geek out on all sorts of stuff about this. Can you nerd out on it? You can nerd out, but <sighs> then I'm, but then at I'm bottom, game. just know that you you're safe trusting the gospel is a faithful transmission of what came. Yep, believe it. Or not believe it, but it is you're, you're not getting a distortion, right? And it's even not a funhouse mirror. And even Erman, you know, he says if you want to try to reconstruct the life of Jesus, the Gospels, the canonical Gospels, and especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the those are our resources. Nothing else is helpful. Maybe Gospel of Thomas, but those are it. And so, and there's other people who even say like Jesus didn't even exist, you know. And Erman like has no time of day for those people. Um, so you know, even he, well, he doesn't construct an orthodox picture of Jesus, doesn't doubt that he existed, and, and doesn't doubt that our best material, our best resources are, um, are the Gospels themselves. So if he thinks they're reliable enough, uh, right. so should we, even if he doesn't share if the Mr. same conclusion. Mr. Doubting Airman even believes yeah. that much. So, uh, all right, we can't avoid it any longer. You're running the show, so I'm yeah. just going to sit back All right, Mike, go. so sit back and everyone get ready for David Berge quizzes Michael J. Nelson and... Uh, Listen to this. Oh, you have a little theme. Oh, nice. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, Mike. Oh, no. It is time for the quiz of Michael J. Nelson. Yeah, can you feel it? Are you getting excited? Uh, are y'all ready for this? Yeah, don't step <laughs> on that. All right. Huh. Jock jams. Jock jams. It's quiz time. Let's go. Okay. Oh. All right. Wow, we just became a morning uh, FM show. I like with it. Police sirens and everything. Yeah. I'm, but that certainly got me ready. I'm ready oh. for whatever you have to give me. Yep. So here we go. All right. So just so you know, these are trivia questions. It's our trivia portion of the show. Um, I am asking Mike the questions, and so he, who has been forming these questions and mocking me and shaming me for being wrong and giving me the stink eye uh, and leading me astray, now the shoe, sir, is on the other foot. The shoe has turned on the table, as they say. Yes. So uh, So how are you running this? Well, well I, sh- I guess I shouldn't. I you're should not, distract. yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not until the host speaks to me do I get to... Uh, I'm in, the, I'm in the cat bird seat, Nelson. Okay. So here I'm we go. Sit here quietly until you yes. ask me. Anything. So I could, uh, you know, move around, and there's all kinds of different categories. But you know what? You are a bit of a gastronomist. I don't think people know that about you, Mike. Um, but you, 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 you like food. You like kind of esoteric ways of preparing food. Um, we've joked about you brewing your own kombucha tea, but you also like just made your own. What do you call it? Jardinera. Jardinera. Yeah, sure. jardinera. Mm-hmm. What does mm-hmm. that go on, Mike? What is that? Well, that's the uh, the hot and spicy sort of salady thing that you put on a, on a Chicago dog. Okay. So you have that on a dog. You with know, ketchup, with the, right? It, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> you monster. Lord have mercy. <laughs> uh, but Mike, also, he also gets offended by the cost of food. Like when something like Jardinera is super expensive, my, that will inspire Mike to just make it himself. Right? That's right. I go out. I begin to grow my own cauliflowers to cut costs. And uh, yeah. So, and like stuff like sous vide, like you're into, you know, the sous vide, which is like boiling your food, basically. I will sous vide a nice uh, cow heart every now and then. Yeah, There's no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So Mike's a gastronomist. He's a, he's a good, he's a good cooker. So a uh, chef, you might say cooker. Or cooker. Chef. He's a good cooker. He cooked good. <laughs> he's, he's a good cooker. He made the best raccoon I ever had. So, um, uh, 
we are going to do questions from the category of food and drink. Okay. All right, Mike. So yep. uh, this is the best, the best of seven. All right. So here we go. You got to get at least four right. First question. If you had Lafitte Rothschild on your dinner table, what would it be? That would be a wine. Oh, have you ever had Lafitte Rothschild? I have table? not. I uh, I don't. Is it still made? I don't know. I always you always see it in old movies where the the stuffy waiter comes out and gives a Lafitte Rothschild. All right, one for one. Well done. Okay. What is allspice, alternatively known as? Oh, uh, pimento. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't pimento just what goes in the middle of an olive? It is. That's that's a totally different thing. The allspice, if I may expound. <laughs> yes, please. That, that is used to make the jerk, and the branches of it were used in, in Jamaica. So okay. the slaves escaped from the sugar farms, and they went up to the uh, mountains, and they were holding this revolution against the, the, the slave owners, mm-hmm. and they would uh, they would cook their food on these, these allspice branches and then flavor the the meat with the very hot pepper and the allspice berries. Oh, wow. God, that's such a good hint. So I gave that's, you much more than I love, you No, no, no. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. All right. Um, two for two. How many crocus flowers does it take to make a pound of saffron? I have to hit the exact number. <laughs> Mike, no, I will. I will. Yes, and oh, you can get in the ballpark. We'll give you 10%. And I will note for folks, these are questions that Mike himself printed off. So if <laughs> yeah, he but is, I didn't read it, them. Yeah, so I if just he is, printed them. So, if he is, so imagine him asking, imagine his sick glee in asking me the same question. A pound? I, I don't, I'm going to say like 10,000? Because you're talking about the little stamen, and that's all you're harvesting is that tiny little stamen. Oh, really 10,000, Mike? <laughs> really 10,000 is going to get you a pound? I don't know, a hundred thousand? Like seventy-five thousand flowers. Oh, he's so disappointed. Which in is me. enough, and I love you can tell where these questions came from. Which is enough to fill an entire football pitch. <laughs> Get your kit. All right. Um, oh. Okay. Costing around two thousand six hundred dollars per pound, and made only to order by Nipschild. What is the name of this chocolate truffle? Oh, I, I'm giving up on it right away. I'm not even going to try to think. Well, you're going to have to offer me a chocopology because that's what it's called. It's called a chocopology. What? Which sounds like a like an apology. <laughs> <That's> chocolate. Like, <laughs> I've never heard of a that. A chocopology, yes. And it's $2,700 a pound? $2,600 a pound. Oh, that's a bargain. Made only by Nipschilt. Oh. Do you know what Nipschilt is or Knipschilt? Or? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, so those are two absurd ones, but here we go. All right. Here's a true or false question. So this is a 50-50 oh, okay. shot yes, of coins. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Fried tarantulas, eggs boiled just before they're due to hatch, live octopus, and puffin hearts eaten raw when still warm are all traditional foods. True or false? Could you run them again? I know that tarantulas are. Fried tarantulas. Yes. Eggs boiled just before they're due to hatch. Oh, yeah. Sure live is. octopus and puffin hearts eaten raw when still warm are all traditional foods. I'm going to say it's true. The only one I'm unsure of is Puffin Hearts, but the rest I'm one, almost 100%. Well, that's sure. funny that you should say that because you knew those other ones and I knew the Puffin Heart one. Oh, that is true. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. That is true. Yeah, I've had, so is that on, had a Puffin in, Heart. In, uh, uh, those north, like the Shetland Islands oh, yeah. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, when it's still beating, it just has a juiciness to it. That's, mm. <laughs> that's delightful. I worked with a, a chap who ate the, uh, 
the uh, uh, the fermented duck eggs, Balut. But he was a, a Filipino guy, mm-hmm. and he uh, he would bring those into work, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> he claimed that he loved him, and it was really hard to believe as he was crunching through those beaks and stuff. Um, but uh, but he loved him. Oh God, that's disgusting. Okay, uh, and you know this is a pretty easy one, um, but you can maybe tell some stories. What color is absinthe? Oh, absinthe is the uh, it's the green fairy. Yeah, what's the deal with absinthe, Mike? Absinthe is uh, distilled from wormwood, which is sort of a, a, a weedy, branchy kind of. Uh, it looks like thick hay or something, and uh, that was distilled into an enormously popular beverage in France, and it became so popular that like offices and things would empty out, and France didn't get any work done, as so, opposed to. Sorry, that's a cheap shot of the French. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Hi-oh. I'm sorry to all our French listeners. So they they basically made up uh, a, a, a legend that it was it would it was a hallucinogenic and it would harm your brain and everything. And they got people to stop using it. and They outlawed it. And uh, but it, it it has since been reintroduced, and you can now, of course, buy absinthe. And it was outlawed in the United States, right? It was just sort of by uh, I don't know, sort of as a favor to France or something. <laughs> like you gave us the Statue of Liberty, helped out in the Revolutionary yeah. War. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll it's not a big deal. We yeah. don't drink a lot yeah. of it here, so it's fine. And uh, fun fact: the only place I've ever dr- had absinthe to drink is actually at Mike's house, <laughs> and he poured it. He like to put a sugar. Cube. Oh yeah, the sugar cube on the little thing. It's a very elegant little presentation. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's just cool to like look at so uh it's cool and green and this is the last one mike yes so so far you're done well like right like three I, or th- four? I, yeah. I miss the chocolatier the chalk apology okay. i will issue my formal chalk apology after this broadcast all right so this one is for our this this one's a good one so if you were to cut a hair into pieces marinate it in wine and juniper berries and then stew this slowly in a sealed container what would this recipe be called Haas and pfeffer oh i'm sorry mike the correct what? answer is jugged hair Oh, jugged hair. Jugged oh, hair. Oh, wow. Have, you, have okay. you ever heard of that before? I have heard the term. I What's I got Haas my rabbit recipes wrong. Hassenpfeffer is German stewed rabbit. Ah. Or roast, sort of, I don't know, braised rabbit, I think, just to be technical. Okay. But, uh, well. There you go. So that was our trivia round. So Mike Nelson, <sighs> wow, how I'm did it sweating. feel? I, how, how did it feel? It, it felt okay. I mean, under your, your gaze, your stern gaze, mm-hmm. I, I, I wilted a little bit, but I, I feel like I did okay. Yeah, you did really well. I mean, I, I only asked, I think, one like completely absurd question, which was the how many saffron, you know, it's sort of like the how many saffron peppers, like, you know. Yeah, that's one that you can't, who has that knowledge at their fingertips? That's like an, ob, that's not just trivia, that's like, that's yeah, obnoxious. Right, um, right. But who am I to avoid being obnoxious? So, uh, thank you everyone for listening. That was our quiz. Uh, any parting words, Mike? Uh, no, just uh, go out there and read the Bible in trust that you have something good. And also eat uh, $25,000 per pound chocolate. Don't go for that expensive twenty seven thousand dollars per pound or whatever that's absurd it is absurd so that's what we've got for you until next time i am david berge and i'm mike nelson on like trees walking <laughs>